I'm so pleased to be with you this morning, uh, honored and humbled that uh, I was able to come. Would you turn with me to Matthew 28, please? I will share towards the end about um, our ministry. You see the table out back, but I just want to get into the word as quickly as possible. It's always... I don't know. I, I, I don't know if the word's intimidating. Um, definitely intriguing, interesting to share the word of God or to talk about gospel sharing in the southern part of the United States because of how religious our communities are in the southern part of the United States. Actually, I was blessed by the announcements. You guys got the gospel shared before the preacher even comes up and preaches. And he did a really good job, too. He even used the word truly God and truly man. Is he in here? Who did that? He's truly sick. <laughs> it's actually an interesting, because theologians always are correcting people. Don't say fully God and fully man. Say truly, truly, which is kind of cool. You guys got your going on, going on already in the announcements. Um, it's always interesting to me because the statistics remain the same. Obviously, there are many people who are born again in Atlanta. Um, are there also those who need to be born again? Of course, the job is not done in Atlanta. It will not be done until the second coming of Christ. Not even during a tribulation period would it ever be done in Atlanta. Um, but there has been studies done that I think are accurate by the Gallup poll. In fact, the original guy began to do these studies. He was an Episcopalian, a very interesting guy who was very interested in the state of Christianity in America. And I don't want to give it all to you because it would take too much precious time. But the conclusion is that one of the greatest fields for evangelism is Sunday morning church services because of the percentage of people in church all across America, all across the world even, even though his study was just in America, of people who are just not born again. They're just not born again. And, um, and so I, I still think it's very fitting to talk about gospel sharing and um, Jesus' words here in Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Um, the, the idea here is some still doubted. They were still doubters. Even after his resurrection. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So you have here what we call the Great Commission. Obviously, you know this. Um, I'm sure 
You do. And this is the first rendering uh, of the Great Commission in the Gospels because it's the first uh, Gospel. It's Matthew. And maybe in some ways, not always, but in some ways the most detailed one. But each one of the Gospels gives the Great Commission. The Synoptic Gospel, Luke talks about the word. He even uses the word forgiveness which is incredibly important when we're talking about the gospel that has already been shared this morning, uh, um, that we have sinned. And there is a person who stood in the gap. uh, And he took the penalty of our sin, paying a fine in full. All of that stuff that is not just important to share with people, but absolutely necessary when sharing the gospel. Um, One of my favorite passages of Scripture in regards to the gospel, our gospel sharing, because by the way, gospel sharing, a synonymous way of saying gospel sharing is just sharing Jesus Christ with people. You could be doing gospel sharing in a sense and technically just by sharing what Jesus said about marriage or what Jesus said um, about anything that he mentioned, uh, worship, Um, gospel sharing is sharing the truth of who Jesus Christ is and what he has said. Uh, One of my favorite passages is Romans 5 where it says, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And before that it says, you can scarcely find a man that will die for the righteous. But even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Um, Some of you may be old enough. I wasn't. I went back and watched it on YouTube. But some of you may be old enough to remember when John Hinckley tried to assassinate Ronald Reagan. Anybody remember that? Of course. You can actually go online. I'm not suggesting that you do. Um, You can ask your pastor if you should. But you can go online and see footage of the the gunshots. The Secret Service are the men who guard the President of the United States. They are some of the, if not the, most well-trained men in the world. Their training is so deep and strenuous and hard. Uh, they, They make machines out of these guys. They really do. And when John... Hinkley pulled out that gun and began firing, even that initial shot caused the Secret Service agent who was the most prominent in in front of the, the camera to immediately start to preserve his own life and to duck. Now, because his training is so good, as he ducked, he, he didn't duck for very long. He came and stood in front of Ronald Reagan. His training kicked in, and he, he basically saved um, the president's life, even though he still took a bullet. Uh, Ronald Reagan and the Secret Service agent took a bullet in the chest. He stood in the gap between the assassin and a very important person, or at least an important person that society deems as important. You can scarcely find a person to die for the important people, uh, for the righteous, and nobody here showed up with a bodyguard today. Not even pastor. Nobody here, even though his sons could do the job. Just fine. Um, the society, maybe we don't have enough money. Society says we're not important enough. We really don't have anybody 
uh, after us that really wants to kill us because we haven't really shaken the tree too hard, you know? I don't know, we just don't have bodyguards. Nevertheless, the Father has to pour His wrath out on sin. But because He loved us, for God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ. I do think it's important that we do understand that that the Father is not gracious towards us because Jesus died on the cross for us. Jesus Christ died on the cross for us because the Father was already gracious and loving towards us. Nevertheless, He's angry with sin. And He will pour out His wrath on sin and Jesus came uh, it's probably a really infinitely bad illustration like that secret service agent and he stood in between the wrath of the father as those bullets of wrath poured out upon him because our sin is so offensive to a holy God so offensive this message is the most important message in the world still is always has been Evangelism needs to be a part of every single person's life in this room. Now, I'm not saying, as I saw yesterday, that we have to hold a series of signs out in downtown Atlanta talking about how people are going to hell. I'm not necessarily criticizing that. Maybe the Lord will use it. I, I, I won't do it. I like more personal type evangelism. But I am saying that at bare minimum, in reading this text, that we can all agree that we have a responsibility to make disciples and share Christ with our family, friends, and colleagues. And that if we're not doing that on a regular basis, which again, the statistics show that as little, some statistics show as 7% of evangelicals in America share that Christ on a regular basis. Listen, let's be honest. If that was even 11%, it'd still be a pathetic percentage. We have a responsibility to have the praises of Christ on our lips everywhere we go. Jesus Christ says all authority has been given to him. Now, maybe he's making a direct reference. um, It's probably a secondary issue to those who are still doubting, as it is mentioned in the previous verse. Many worshiped him, but some still doubted. And even amongst those doubters, he's saying to them, all authority has been given to me. Rest assured, I have the power. I have the authority. I have the ability. I don't think that's the primary reason he's saying he has all the authority, but it could be a secondary reason, and there could be many reasons he's saying this. We definitely see that in the Gospel of John, the upper room discourse, which is the four uh, um, large discourses that Jesus gave in his life and ministry that we find in the Gospels. You have the Sermon on the Mount, you have the Olivet Discourse, you have the Kingdom Parables, which um, all are directed not just towards his disciples, but there were people who were other than his 12 disciples listening. And then you have this very unique discourse which is the longest discourse called the Upper Room Discourse found in John 13, 14, 15, 16. And then it ends with a whole chapter of prayer in John 17, the longest discourse in all of the Gospels of Jesus' words. An absolutely magnificent study. Well, 
even there, he did maybe what he's kind of doing here, but not primarily, but he, he would say, listen, the person in whom I dip this bread and give it to me will betray me. Those aren't complicated words to understand. I'm not trying to belittle the disciples' ability or intellectual understanding and discernment on how to uh, read you know, the, the words that are coming out of people's mouths. You think maybe Jesus at times, which is, you know, do you hear the words that are coming out of my mouth? Like in Luke chapter 9, when the second time he tells them, I'm going to the cross to die, but before he says it, because now it's the second time in one conversation, he says, let these words sink down into your ears. Is he frustrated? Probably not, but nevertheless, stern. It's like, you guys don't get it. And then you, in Luke chapter 9, wouldn't you know, let these words sink down into your ears. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again on the third day. And then it says, they don't know what he's talking about. And a dispute arose amongst them. Which one is the greatest? This is amazing. You've got the greatest person in all the universe talking about the greatest thing in all the universe, and those men are talking about how they're great. What irony. Incredible irony. And nevertheless, I got, I, I, listen, I would be right there with them. There's no doubt in my mind that I would be arguing with Peter or John or James that I was greater than them. I, I just, I don't think I, I'm that much different than those guys. It also proves that an intellectual understanding of Christ gets you nowhere unless your heart is submitted to him. Smartest people in the world can't understand the things of God unless they are born again. And, and, and even after being born again, being humble before the sight of the Lord. All authority has been given to me, to the doubters. Do you know why he would say that to them about Judas? Because he wants us to know, understand something. All authority is still mine. Judas is not getting one over on me. He doesn't have the ability to get one over on me. He doesn't have the strength to defeat me. I am allowing him to betray me. And these people are still doubting. And he says to them right there, all authority has been given to me. Don't doubt, but also, and here's the primary reason. I am boss and I am giving you the mission of the Great Commission. All authority has been given to me. Do you understand? I am the King of kings, Lord of lords. I am the Lord of heaven. I am the Lord of earth. It says it right there. Also, Philippians 2 even gives us a greater detail of the, the demographic of where he's the Lord. It says, heaven, earth, and under the earth, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. So he's Lord of heaven, he's Lord of earth, and he's Lord of hell he is the conquering king nobody has more authority than him and as that person who has all authority he's giving us a command and it's a non-negotiable i want you to go um, uh, james montgomery boyce will, will point out here in matthew's gospel that the the idea here in the greek is as you are going throughout your life make disciples 
This isn't just a message for missionaries, though I do believe there's a distinction between missionaries in the Bible and people who live in their communities sharing the gospel. Nevertheless, we're all called to this. As we are going, no matter where we live, we're called to make disciples. Now, I, I, I have talked too much about what I did not prepare for because my tendency is exposition. I want you to know that. I'm not doing an exposition of this passage today. It would take about two and a half hours, and that is breaking it down. But I want to get to the title of my message. Don't worry, we'll end on time. And that is a call to nonconformity even in Atlanta, even in the religious South. I would like to discuss four, though I won't. I'll only discuss one. Four hindrances of participating in the Great Commission at a high level. You would have pluralism, relativism, materialism, and humanism that plagues the American church, the unbearably affluent America. In fact, I got to tell you that this reclaim America, and, and I'm all for, I'm a constitutionalist. Don't shoot me, please. I know where I am. I believe in the Second Amendment, all that stuff. But... I love America's freedoms, but I love America's freedoms for the sake of spreading the Great Commission or the gospel around the world. Not so that we can retain our comforts for the sake of comfort. I think we have a job to do, and we need, you need to use every available means to make Christ known. And so, you... you you have these four things. I know they're big words. Pluralism, pluralism just simply means that there is a belief in the Western world and around the world that all religious worldviews are equally valid. And as that trickles into the minds of those in Sunday morning church, and I have this tendency too, so I'm not just trying to be combative, is, is that it, even if we don't believe that, we'll give credence to that by the way we share the gospel. Let me give you an example. We may say to somebody, I believe the Bible is God's word. And that is a pluralistic statement, and this is why. The Bible is God's word, whether you believe it or not. We need to change our language in the way that we talk to people. The, the word of God has spoken, and he says you're estranged from him because you don't believe on him and whom he sent. We need to be more confident, yes, loving and respectful, but more confident that the word of God is the only truth in the world today. We don't need to be timid or to tiptoe around religious lies of pantheism or Hinduism or Islam or different things. I don't do that anymore. I used to do it. I found myself being convicted by this pluralistic mindset that has invaded my mind through the secular world. That, uh, and, and, you know, by the time you get done binge-watching Netflix, you can become a pluralist like that. Creeps into the mind. I, I don't have time to get all these things, but what I do want to talk about is materialism. Now understand, before I talk about that, that the Great Commission is not just the Great Commission, it is the greatest calling we could ever have. This is the pinnacle of all redemptive history to this point. There's nothing 
bigger than this. All that we participate in on Sunday morning, in which we're called to, we're called to have pastors and elders. It even says that as we gather, we're to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to greet each other with a holy kiss. Did you do that this morning? Maybe at the couples retreat, you'll do that. It's a customary culture greeting. You really don't got to do the kissing. I don't want to get confused, but we have all these details of what we're supposed to do when we gather together. It's amazing. I'm glad we have more information, a lot of information, details, because I need them because I'll get lost in a second if I don't have God's word. We come in, we do all these things, but these are, in some cases, a means to an end the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry out there. If we come in and do all the things that we love to do, the teaching of sound doctrine, which, by the way, is the greatest form of discipleship. That's if we were to do an exposition, we would talk about that. The greatest form of discipleship and always has been is when the Bible is opened uh, by pastors and different teachers around the world and the Word of God is taught. It's the greatest form of discipleship in the world. But we do those things, singing, using our different gifts to encourage and build the body of Christ. But if we forfeit to do this, we forfeit the reason why all these things on Sunday morning exist, to strengthen us to do this. I mean, think about it. Jesus Christ creates man, tells them not to eat. If they do, they will surely die. Death came into the world, an atom bomb blew up in the Garden of Eden and killed every one of us with him. 25,000 people a day die from hunger. 10,000 of those people are children every single day. It's 3,750,000 a year. If you've ever seen in person a child dying of hunger, it will change your life. One in five girls in America are raped. One in 20 boys in America are raped. 400,000 people in the world are murdered each year. Death has come to our world just like God said it would if we ate. But God had a plan. His plan was redemption. He chooses Abraham. He preserves Moses. He anoints David. And down the line, God is born God made flesh. John Stott said there is nothing as fantastic in fiction as the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And, and not only that, he's, he lives and he, he, he's kind to women and children, which is unique in this culture and unique in many other cultures around the world, especially third world cultures. He's kind enough to teach. He has compassion, he heals, he feeds, and if that were not the, uh, the best, which it's not, he dies on the cross and rises again, and this is the message he has for us. This is the pinnacle of all, of all, of all history. The pinnacle of all redemptive thought is now, as the Father has sent me, Jesus said, which he says repeatedly in John 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, I am sending you. And he said it after his resurrection. As the Father have sent me, I am sending you. Do you know this morning, and please let this sink down in all of our ears and hearts, 
God is sending you out after this service is done to represent him to your family, friends, and colleagues. And not just represent him with your good deeds. That's wonderful. But to represent him with your words. To speak the name of Jesus. Materialism can get in our way. Materialism is a preoccupation with material things until it suffocates the will and word of God speaking to you in your life. That's what materialism, I'm not preaching asceticism. Asceticism is a belief that all material things are evil. I don't care if you have a beautiful, nice house. God bless you for that. It's okay. But the Bible does say in Matthew 6, 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroys and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and thieves do not break in and steal. A few years into our living in Kenya, on one particular night while my family was sleeping, my wife and children, thieves came into the house. And this is how they kept us asleep. They poured a sleeping gas in our house so that we would remain asleep. They sold everything. Socks, shoes, pillowcases, couch cushions, food. They even took our bananas and threw the pills on the floor. There's no honor amongst thieves nowadays. I woke up to the lights on, drawers pulled down. I'm thinking, how could I stay asleep while we were getting robbed? found knives, kitchen knives in our different rooms as a statement that they could have killed us, I guess. I didn't know that um, we, we were uh, gassed out. I thought the Lord kept me asleep so that no one died, me or them. And I called the police. They asked me to come pick them and give them a ride. They came three hours later, and that's when they told us that they had dumped gas into our house to keep us asleep. I was telling them, I was all getting hyper-spiritual. God kept us asleep. Best night of sleep of my life. Been looking for this stuff ever since. No, I'm kidding. You know what they did not steal from us? Our salvation. Our rewards in heaven. Our relationship with Christ. Our peace. Our joy. They, they took our computers and TVs and, and socks and shoes and my wife's dresses and her clothes, which is, yeah, it's, it was not nice, but they didn't take the most important things because they don't have the power to break in to God's armory. They don't have the ability. Don't store it for yourself treasure enough. You, if you have eight kids and you need to get a bigger house, get it. But there is a cure to materialism. Three things. I mean, before I give you those three things, did you hear the story of the man who, while walking down the street, looked down and found a $5 bill, and he decided from that point on, he would always walk down the street with his head down. In the accumulation of his life, he got 29,516 buttons, 54,172 pens, 12 cents, a bent back, and a miserable disposition. But what did he lose? The smiles on the faces of his family and friends, the blossoms of spring, the beauty of starlight and moonlight. Materialism always takes more from you than it gives. 
The Bible says in Psalm 121, I will lift my eyes up unto the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. We get caught up in the things that we need, the bills we need to pay, the things we desire and want that are material, and it can distract us. Let's just be honest. We're all guilty of it. It can distract us. The cure to those things are given to us in the scripture. Storing up treasures. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. It in a catch-22. If you focus on the things that you want and need, in many cases, it's just going to consume you. Maybe you don't even get them. You focus on Jesus and you just find yourself being provided for. The, commu- the cure to materialism, three things, simplicity, hold loosely to the things you own. Secondly, it's contentment. Be content with the things you own. And thirdly, and most importantly, generosity. Be generous with your time and your finances and the things you own. Be generous. Job said in Job 121, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I return. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Have you ever considered that life is a pilgrimage between two points of nakedness? And we get so focused. These are contemporary challenges to the modern church, materialism, especially in America. I think so many of us are trying to hang on to the free America for the sake of our comforts rather than for the sake of our God and Christ. Three quick things. Three quick ways. And guys, there's an endless study to the Great Commission. I'm just here to try to challenge us this morning. Maybe I'll only even get two of these, but three quick things that we can do to participate in the Great Commission. Number one is pray intercessory prayer there was something transcendent about the prayer life of Jesus Christ so much so that the disciples didn't even ask Jesus how to heal the the only thing that they asked them how to teach them was teach them how to pray I was a heroin addict from the age of 14 years old till 21 Started using Oxycontins when I was 14. Started shooting intravenously when I was 15. Had overdosed several times. On one particular occasion, I had overdosed on heroin when back in the day they started cutting fentanyl and street heroin. My mom was at a nice restaurant and I... uh, had overdosed and she got the call that they that was being rushed they didn't, they didn't know if I was going to live or die she went into a, a restaurant or into the bathroom of this nice restaurant I just say nice restaurant because there was what do you call them a maitre d' in the bathrooms what a what a dirty job you know and she's weeping and this old lady came up to my mom and said what's wrong my mom explained to her she had a heroin addict for her son and I had overdosed on that particular night, and she said that she would be praying for me. Two years later, my mom, forgetting that bathroom, went into the same restaurant, went in the same bathroom. Wouldn't you know it, the same old lady was there, walked up to my mom and said, 
how's Josh doing? I've been praying for him every day for two years. Call me by name. Every day for two years? Are you kidding me? She has more reward working in a bathroom than I ever will be a missionary in Kenya. There is rewards for that kind of intercessory prayer. Matthew 6 teaches us that. How can you participate in the Great Commission? You begin, and I mean today, on praying for your lost loved ones, your lost family members and friends, and your lost colleagues. Get a list down if you have to and start pleading for God to reveal himself to them and for them to submit to the knowledge of Christ. Secondly, you can send. Romans 10, 13, 15. This is one of the reasons I'm here today. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of great joy. Send missionaries around the world. Send your resources around the world, as your pastor already mentioned that this church is doing corporately. You know, Paul said to the Philippians in Philippians 4, even you sent help for my needs once and again, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases on your account. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. Do you know what Paul just said? The apostle Paul said, I'm more happy for you Philippians that you gave me your money than I am happy for me as a missionary that you gave me your money. What kind of genuine missionary was Paul? I mean... If I said that to you today, you may be offended. Like, oh yeah, real rich. Paul is saying, I am so excited that you are participating, Philippians, in the work of church planting to foreign people groups that Paul was going to. He mentions in Romans 15 that he covered an area and preached the Christ to everyone in that area from Illyricum to Jerusalem or Jerusalem to Illyricum. He said, you gave me your money and I'm more happy for you that you did it. Why? Because Paul had an eternal perspective and he knows when people send their resources to do gospel work, they participate in that gospel work and they will be rewarded in heaven for it. The people who begin supporting our work at Calvary Chapel Eldoret are as responsible for that church as I am. And, and guys, I'm not saying that to get fuzzy feelings or to get, that is the truth of the Bible. Something happened in the last four years at our church. I came to the end of myself. I'm embarrassed to say it. I thought I, 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 I it's so embarrassing to even to, to say out loud. The first early days of my ministry, I thought it was something. Isn't that gross? I thought it was awesome. The Lord showed me through the course of many years, I'm not. Kind of as I came to my end of myself and things happened, the Holy Spirit poured out and we've seen well over a thousand people get born again the last four years and are in the church being discipled. An amazing thing. 
And people got to participate in that work by sending their prayers, by sending their resources to the mission field. Proverbs 11.25 says, A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others, he himself or she herself will be refreshed. The cure to materialism predominantly is generosity. Let go of the things we focus so much on and it will teach you to be unmaterialistic. I didn't leave a lot of time for myself to talk about the ministry, but that's okay. I hope that you can receive today. Listen, maybe it's something you've heard a hundred times. I'm sure it is. Go out and share the gospel with people. I know we li- you live in the South where people have heard the gospel probably a million times in 15 different ways or 1,500 different ways. Still do it. You know why? It's powerful. When I went to Africa in 2010, we were church planters, trainers. But we saw the desperation of Africans. We started these kids' days at our church, and we started having two, 300 kids show up. And um, when we would try to send them home after feeding them and having fun with them and sharing the word of God with them, we discovered that a number of them would tell us, we don't have a home. You're trying to send us home. We don't have a home. And I got to tell you, CCA, what if this morning you had 50 kids with hardly any clothes on and certainly no shoes and mud all over their bodies walk in those doors and say, help. And by the way, they would walk in those doors and I'd be able to smell them from the stage. The Bible talks about, you. what are we going to do? Send them away, be blessed, be clothed, be fed, and not clothe and feed them? We, there's no place to send them in, in, in Africa, in Kenya, where the government takes care of them. We send them back to the streets to die. They're legitimate orphans. That's what we've been faced with. And last summer, I started an organization called Great Commission Ministries. I don't have time. And before I forget, I must say we have a very nice website that is downed today because a surfer crashed. So if you try to get on it, get on it tomorrow or Tuesday. I just say that because I didn't want to forget. Be gracious towards us. I know it's a bad time to present an organization with a server crash. But anyways, started this organization because I saw so much of missions and so much of compassion ministries and helps ministries, which is a part of our hearts. You can't have that heart of Christ, live in that world and not want to help people. But how do we do it? We do it through the church. We disciple through the church. These kids that we save and give homes which we're starting our first three children's homes in three first three children's homes in November. We planted a church recently last September in Goma Congo. After that's a viable church, we'll start saving kids there. And we, we, we want to help those kids while we bring them to be discipled at church. That is who we are at Great Commission Ministries. We, we want to save kids. We also have a ministry called Women in Distress Ministries, 
One day, a member of our church named Faith came, and um, I was pulling out of the church parking lot. She was running in. She had no shoes. She typically did have shoes. She's an adult, around 18, 19 at the time. And uh, her shirt was ripped. And the backstory is, and I already had known this, is she was uh, raped and impregnated. At the, uh, it's a, 80% of the women in our church have been molested. It's a big issue in Africa. And through the counsel of my wife and I and the elders, is she is not to abort the baby. We had to tell her this because her family was saying, you must abort the baby. We don't want another hungry mouth to feed. And through her violation of her family, which it's a shame and honor culture, and it's a lot of pressure to do what the family says, she stood her ground and she would not abort this baby. And one of her sisters began to beat her in the stomach one day, said, if you don't do it, I will. And that's how she escaped and ran into the church. What am I supposed to do? We started a ministry, something we were doing already, and my wife and I called Women in Distress. We help women out of dangerous situations and try to get them on their feet where they don't have to live, where they're being beat in the stomach. And I could tell you story after story after story. We're drilling, GCM right now, Great Commission Ministries is drilling a borehole um, for 40 albinos. They had to flee. It's kind of a refugee camp in a way because mainly in Tanzania, they were capturing albinos, decapitating them, and they were eating them because it was a superstition that started it would cure people from AIDS. And we just found, because we had got a donation to drill a well, we help people with running water, and uh, we found these people and they don't have running water, so in the next 60 days, we're gonna be giving them running water. This is the kind of stuff we're doing. All of that underlined with being a church-oriented organization, a Great Commission-oriented organization. Listen, if you can find it in your heart, visit the table. We have cards on the table. You can pick it up and support the children's home. You pick up a card, a children's home card. You fill out the form. We spend $50 a month on uh, coffee, if you're, if you're me. I, I do. Send. Send us. We'll go. Send us. We'll go. Please visit the table. My friends and colleagues are here, David and Jordan. Guys, will you raise your hand? They can see you. There they go. My brother, one of them happens to be my brother, my uh, better-looking brother, he would like to tell you. Um, he got saved last year out of a 14-year drug addiction. Please visit the table, but let me end with this quote. It's my favorite quote of all time because our God is powerful and our God is real and he overshadows all history and the present. Malcolm Muggeridge, a brilliant journalist and kind of a scholar and apologist. He was an Englishman. He lived through World War I and World War II and he said these words. We look back upon history and what do we see? Empires rising and empires falling. Wealth accumulated and wealth dispersed. 
Shakespeare has spoke of great ones that ebb and flow with the moon. I look back upon my own countrymen in England who are still convinced of what is a popular song, God who made the mighty will make the mightier yet. I've seen an America more powerful than the rest of the world combined, and if they so desired, could conquer their known world with their military might and nuclear weaponry. I've heard a craze crack Austrian announce to the world the establishment of a Reich that would last a thousand years. I've heard an Italian clown announce to the world that he was going to stop and restart the calendar with his own ascension to power. I've heard a British, or a, 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 excuse me, a Georgian a, a politician in the Kremlin announce to the world the establishment um, uh, of his empire, acclaimed by the intellectual elite as a wiser than Solomon, a more humane than Marcus Aurelius, a more enlightened than Shoker is amongst us, all in one lifetime, all in one lifetime, all gone, gone with the wind. England, a tiny island off the coast of Europe, threatened with bankruptcy and dismemberment. America threatened with losing its precious fluids that keep the motorways roaring and the smog settling. Hitler, Stalin, and Mussolini, forbidden names in the governments they founded, all in one lifetime, all gone with the wind. Behind the debris of these solemn supermen and these self-styled diplomatists and politicians stands the gigantic figure of one man in whom, by whom, and through whom is the forgiveness of sins, the man Jesus Christ. And this message will preach in every aspect of your life, in everywhere you go, because he is awesome. Go make his name known, I plead. If you've been backslidden in your Great Commission participation, go and share the name of Christ and make sure he is a name that is forever on your lips unto his glory. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening to me this morning. Let me pray as the worship team comes up and as we honor God and remember him in communion. Father, we thank you for the privilege of knowing you. We thank you for the great honor of having your son stand in the gap to take on the sins of the world. May you be forever glorified. I pray you would bless this church. I pray you would bless these people and that you would convict us once again, as you probably have many times, to share the gospel to invite people to these Bible studies, to make your name known. And as we remember your blood and your body, may we remember the cost of your sacrifice. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.